Episode 348, entitled Joe Meek is God, which was a phrase that maybe two people might have uh, made into a graffiti back in uh, 1965 or something like that. But I would... um I would be drawn very much to it because Joe Meek, the independent record producer who died so tragically and produced such an unbelievable plethora of independent recordings, which are now a number of them being found and released for the first time under the rubric The Tea Chest Tapes. Joe Meek's music, which I am featuring today, and I've talked a little bit about in the past, is the definition of non-sequitur, and that's really what the cast is about. I could have entitled it Joe Meek slash God work in non-sequiturs, because the uh, music almost across the board, I mean like 95% of his recordings, and I think I've listened to every one that is available, and some new ones are now coming out, quote new, and um, he was the master because of his very, very um, unusual, weird personality, he was the master of the non-sequitur. There was always something at the bottom of the well. I mean, who in a million years uh, would have dreamed up the odd sort of M.R. James-ish sort of uh, conceit. There's something at the bottom of, well, I think he and his uh, kind of uh, sort of uh, innocent sidekick, Dave Adams, um, dreamed that one up. But um, all of um, Meek's music, and I'm going to play, actually try to play four um, examples of it, which is a little technically hard on PZ, but I'm going to try, are almost all um, examples of uh, of completely disparate elements put together. Um, for example, very frequently you'll have a really dumb lyric because he he would basically record almost anybody who walked up into a studio, um, sort of teenage, what we would call garage band, but not even quite that level. It's sort of teenagers from Manchester would get on a train and knock on his door and he'd listen to him and he might record one or two numbers and he would, he would take a very um, threadbare and uh, a really ineffective and locale little single that they dreamed up or song they dreamed up and then he'd spend a night working on their tracks that they'd put down 
And they'd come the next day or three days later and say, we don't, how do, what, what is that? How did you get that out of what we said? Because he was constantly bringing in unusual sound elements into really, really dumb um, lyrics, like you heard recently in Dumbhead by the Charades. He would always bring a complete non sequitur. For example, he had this uh, guitarist who later became famous, Richie Blackmore. And uh, Richie would, he'd, he'd get, say, he'd have this really dumb song, uh, sort of a very sort of 1950s American sounding teenage lyric and then he'd get Richie to put in a wildly and outrageously psychedelic or heavy what we would almost call heavy metal guitar solo or a sudden at the at the pivot or the bridge in the song he'd suddenly put a really weird organ reverb sound that what it just Almost every song he wrote surprises you, usually a little like Les Straight Jackets, but probably ultimately more inspired. I love Les Straight Jackets. He would put in the last third of the song something completely at odds with the tenor of the material he was dealing with. So he, he it's just across the board, we're going to listen to a uh, song... Um, just keep on dreaming that that is so absurd and yet it has a guitar element that is completely out of place and yet inspired now this is the way i want to say god works i see it more and more i mean there's currently this talk all around the place you've heard of it of the kind of quote revival spiritual revival christian revival going on at asbury university asbury college in wilmore kentucky a a parallel to the quite well-known conservative or traditional methodist seminary asbury theological and um, it's a place i know well not geographically i've not been but herr moltmann who is my doctor father in germany uh, delivered one of his most <clears throat> interesting and important lectures with an extraordinary Q&A after it at um, Asbury. I believe he went there at least twice. And Herr Mo, I said, what is Asbury, I would say in German. Was ist, was ist der Fall mit Asbury? Was denken Sie von Asbury? And he would say, well, das ist, das ist unglaublich. Das ist nur ein, ein Tankstelle, he would say. Asbury, Kentucky is only a gasoline pump because in those days it was a tiny place. It's still a small place, but no, no tiny place is now tiny any longer. Longer. Tiny places are small. Um, it's a small place, but he said it, it was nothing but a gas station. And yet, here today, um, uh, what may well, in fact, be a, an important um, spiritual revival, which I'm extremely sympathetic with, gosh, we need it, is happening at uh, a place that only a few years ago was denominated Nur uh, ein Tankstelle. And um, the the uh, God uh, never works according. He he doesn't work. Um, kind of uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, uniformly uh, from um, tiny, tiny, absurdly small beginnings. But he never works where you think he's going to work. We didn't didn't Susanna Layton, that wonderful artist and friend up in Bedford, doesn't she say that God uh, never answers prayers early? <laughs> That's very interesting. But. I believe it, essentially, but he could, because uh, God's work is always different from what we in our human categorization or narrative, that's why narratives are so false, because they take, they don't take into account the non sequitur. God always works in a non sequitur. Obviously, the babe in Bethlehem and um, the uh, uh, presence of Christ in the Roman world in the form that he was in to bring us both uh, reconciliation and uh, wisdom. Uh, this is uh, an extraordinary non sequitur. But he's worked in your life in non sequiturs. The very thing, as we say in the, the theology of the cross, Theologie des Kreuzes, is that God worked in the, in the, uh, in the, um, the checkmate. 
God worked in the impasse. God worked in the blockage. God worked in the scar. God worked in the pain. Jesus of the scars, that wonderful poem that Sir Norman Anderson quoted in reference to his son's very tragic um, death. Uh, the uh, Jesus of the scars. This is the Jesus of the non-sequitur. God is the God of the non-sequitur. Well, now, just to earth this in something really cool, let's just take a minute and uh, listen to a a split second of just uh, keep on dreaming, uh, one of Joe Meek's uh, um, typical uh, performances. You may think I Now, did you hear that? Uh, Blackmore came in with a, a a solo that is good, and and yet entirely at odds with the atmosphere or intended um, message of the uh, voice of the uh, of the singing group that uh, Joe Meek had recorded, and um, that's what we're talking about. Uh, you have this, you know. I'll just keep on dreaming. Ooh copying of the Beatles, and then suddenly... That is unbelievable. And that's the way God is working. That's the way God's working it, apparently, and I believe it. I believe it. That's the way he's working it. Um, at Asbury. That's the way I see him working in my own life through, uh, through City of Destiny, uh, the Pentecostal parish in Apopka, Florida, and the ministry there. And I see him working that way with Mary and me. I see him working that way. I just got back from a kind of re-baptism in the life that I led for a long time and certainly valued for almost ever. And, um, and yet God did not work through that life that I lived for a long time and valued forever. That did not happen. <laughs> South Park, that did not happen. God worked through an entirely unexpected uh, source, and consistently so. So, again, this is just a form of the theology of cross, but I, I wanna, I'm so interested in um, dear old Joe Meek that I, I want to play just two more songs, uh, sort of try this out. So hang on just for a sec while we are going to hear Come On Back. Come on back, come on back, and I'll be good to you. 
you get the idea i'm i'm i can't i i don't want to sound like some kind of you know discography uh guy or uh rolling stone critic or trying to give you a lot more information than you need plus people don't know there have been books written about i've got one right here there have been books written about joe meek how did he do it what was happening even the best sound engineers of the current era are often at a loss as to how he actually did it this was we're talking about the early 1960s when there were no computers there was nothing like that and here he in a sort of home studio in this place, as I said, that one has visited twice now um, from the outside to, 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 to just remember that, that he, what he was working with and to look at the kind of catastrophic um, confusion that only he knew the way around of, of his actual studio and control room, it's beyond belief. And yet here he takes a kind of a little bit of a, Farfasa organ bit in the back and a lead guitar that's quite good and some a lot of echo, a lot of reverb and there's a little bit of a bass guitar in there and he throws it all together and adds fog you might say and he comes up with this extraordinarily um, unusual follow-up to to a song where the boys just say, he's saying come on back I'm I've changed uh, I'm not the man you knew please come back uh, and it's uh, just a, a please come back sort of a I don't know sounds Dusty Springfieldish and it's very touching you might say, but the voice is, is ridiculous. He's obviously speeded that up. Once D- uh, Dennis O'Dell, I think that was his name, O'Dell of the Honeycombs, which is one of um, Joe Meek's few actually successful groups in the top 40 side of life, said to him, uh, Dennis or Dave, whoever it was, O'Dell, said to <clears throat> Joe, he said, why do you speed up my vocals? Because all of the Honeycomb songs, almost all of them, the O'Dell vocal, the lead vocal is speeded up. It sounds a little bit reverging on the chipmunks. And um, why do you keep speeding it up, he said. But he didn't really have artistic control, but he asked. And, and uh, Joe Meek said the remarkable thing. He said, well, what? What song wouldn't benefit from being sped up? I mean, it was just in what song, i.e. that you guys do, wouldn't benefit from being speeded up? Boy, that's true of sermons, by the way. If you're a preacher and you're listening to this, remember that. What sermon that you preached wouldn't benefit from being shortened? The, if the suicide, what as John Stott said, the catastrophe of all preachers is the beginning and the end. And I would almost say at this point it's the end because the beginning doesn't matter because the listeners are kind of adjusting themselves to listening. That takes a while. But the ending, the preacher's... Almost 95% of the sermons we hear take uh, too long to end. Uh, anyway, that's a, a, a separate subsidiary point. But did you hear the, the, the non sequitur? Do you see how important that is and how wonderful it is? Because if, if God, I mean, Mary and I are worrying about a, one aspect of our logistical lives, 
everybody is. Do we do this? Do we do that? Do we do both these things? Do we do three things? Do we do one thing? How do we how do we live in in regard to some complexity? And uh, she so brilliantly said, "Well, you know, it's not probably an either or." There's probably a third solution that we haven't thought of. Um, There's probably something else. God's solution, and we do see it. We do honestly, sincerely attempt to see our future lives and our steps logistically as as asking God what he would have us do. And um, uh, Mary said, you know, it's probably something that we haven't yet considered. It's probably another option, or there's another way of looking at this, and, and that's the Joe Meek option. That's the non sequitur. God, Joe Meek is God, but more importantly, a God is a non sequitur. Okay, I'm finishing up. You've heard me. I love you. And, uh, Joe Meek is God, but God is God, and God is the God of non-sequiturs. And this is what Martin Luther taught at the Reformation, and it's absolutely plain in church life. Look at the church right now. Good Lord. Look at the Anglican communion. I mean, I could go on and on, but I won't. Um, Surely, look at Asbury. Um, But he said that with affection. Um, He got it. Uh, Therefore, you know, the crucified God by Jürgen Moltmann, I'm going to finish with another total non sequitur, one of his famous songs, and I'm dedicating this song to Mary Zoll, as you'll soon see. This song, if you listen to the lyrics, it doesn't have the non sequitur instrumentation, but the actual lyrics, the concept of the song, it couldn't, I mean, how is it ever made? I mean, how is this song, and in this particular one, he submitted it to, he, he tried to make it a hit. He thought it should be a top 10. Maybe it would have been. Could this song have ever been a top 10 hit in any world that we know of? Just listen to the lyrics. Um, it's un, I mean, it's another form of non sequitur. I happen to love the song, and I dedicate it to my brilliant wife. You'll see why. And this is um, Joe Meek's production of Paradise Garden. Walk with me in Paradise Garden Talk with me in Paradise Garden There's where all my dreams come true Love will start in Paradise Garden Lost my heart in Paradise Garden There's where Strange and so mysterious One kiss and I found 